Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ed Simons. Owen Bennett is away, so I'm his chair. I'm joined by Graham Dominic and Paul War. Uh, let's get straight to it. It's less than a month to go into the referendum, and today is Immigration Day. Net long-term migration to the UK was 333,000 in 2015, the second highest level on record. Here's Boris Johnson this morning seizing on the figures uh, in the Brexit campaign. I'm in favour of immigration. I'm in favour of the benefits that it brings to our society. But I have to say that what is happening at the moment is being done completely without the consent of the British people. They voted at the general election to bring net immigration down to the tens of thousands. We've just heard that it is going up every year. It's now, I think, EU net immigration alone represents a city the size of Colchester. 77,000 EU immigrants have come here without any kind of job at all, despite the promises that we heard from the Prime Minister and others that they would get changes in the EU treaty, insisting that people would have to have a job before they came here. And for me, this is about democracy. It's about control and it's about consent. At the moment, what is happening is not with the consent of the British people. And the only way to achieve that is to take back control on June the 23rd. So, Paul, we're into the kind of solid vote leave territory here, aren't we? You know, there must be cock a hoop. Yeah, well, it's, it is their comfort zone, there's no question. They, they know all the polling shows that they're strongest on migration, not as strong on the economy. Uh, but Boris hitting from the front this morning was significant because not only is he the face of the Vote Leave campaign, but he has an interesting record, so the least, <laughs> on immigration. He interesting says, is one way of putting he, it, yeah. He says he's pro-immigration. You know, don't forget, this is the guy when he was mayor of London said, let's have a, a, an amnesty for illegal migrants. You don't hear much of that from Boris these days. Um, but it's a principal position he's got. And uh, what he's trying to say is, look, I'm not against nasty foreigners. Um, what I am in favour of is giving British people direct control over immigration. It's about us controlling it and not Europe. At the moment, it's uncontrolled. So he said it's not about anti-immigration as such. It's about anti-lack of control. And you can or can't believe that, according to your view. Um, it's a sophisticated argument. The problem is that people like Nigel Farage aren't that sophisticated. And it is very much an anti-migrant argument. That it, that's the way it comes across from people like Farage. Do you think um, it puts people off? I mean, the Farage argument of immigration, do you think that's why Boris is perhaps more nuanced on it? Or is it just that that's just fundamentally what they both actually believe? I think fundamentally Boris actually is pro-immigration. Uh, and, you know, he's got a long record on that. And he says as himself, you know, he's, he's like, uh, you know... Supermarket honey is a produce of more than one country, um, yeah. and he, you know, he makes great play of his cosmopolitan roots, etc., including his Turkish roots until recently. Um, but what was interesting was that he said the language Boris used again; it was really aggressive, really anti-Cameron. 
even though he's got this nuanced message, he said it's cynical, cynical of the government to pretend that it can hit its net migration target while being in the EU. Now, that's the sort of language that, you know, you expect a Lib Dem or a Labour person to say. And I just thought that was really interesting. And isn't there a lack of consistency as well in the immigration argument that, that we need a certain amount of immigration if the Tory government are going to hit their growth targets over the next few years? I mean, all the, this issues to do with the, the economy and and, 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 and the, the, the government that we voted for just, uh, just over a year ago. Um, this was the centrepiece of their, of their arguments, trust us, trust us in the economy. But actually, if we, if we did bring up the, the, the drawbridge, build a wall, whatever, whatever <laughs> what do we want to do, to, to <laughs> do on Brexit? Wall, actually, yeah. that, will be, that will totally undermine that economic argument. And I think there's also the, the way the government played this today. David Cameron's in Japan, OK? So there's a slight time difference. But he was up earlier than everybody else. He knew these figures were coming. I'm being told that he's not going to say a damn thing about these migration stats to all day today. Is that because they think it's just not worth getting involved in it? What's I th- the I think, strategy yeah, they're, they're worried. The strategy is, um, and Theresa May, by the way, has gone completely mm. off the radar. So who else is it? Instead of uncorking the gork, they've unbottled Brokenshire. So poor, <laughs> poor James Brokenshire is the guy who has to go out there on the TV, on the radio and defend what the vote leavers think is the indefensible. And Ian Duncan Smith this morning is a good pal of Brokenshire's, you know, ranted on about the fact that, look, you know, Brokenshire's being the guy who's hung out to dry, trying to say, look, somehow this is all okay and we're still going to meet the target even if we're in the EU. And I felt, you know, there's there's that going on right now, which is a sort of a, a, an abdication of responsibility higher up to defend these figures today. I mean, Graham, you mentioned it, the other big issue this week was the economy, and we had the Institute of Fiscal Studies issuing reports saying that leaving the EU could cause a government to impose two extra years of austerity. And we had the sort of Remain camp saying, you know, this uh, proves why we should stay in. And then, of course, the Leave camp hitting out. And rather than kind of attacking the argument, they went straight for the IFS, accusing them of being propagandists for the EU. Um, Here's a clip of David Cameron defending the IFS. And Graham, do you think the Leave camp looked a bit kind of sour by kind of accusing the IFS themselves of being biased? I mean, what what was going on there? Yeah, it's it, yeah, it was a bit of a um, the, the arguments they were playing the, the the man the man not the ball, and that, I think that's quite a, quite a powerful one for people who don't know the IFS. Us journalists refer to it with its in its in its abbreviation, but it's the Institute of Fiscal Studies, and it's an independent think tank that has built its reputation on being the kind of the the the, the, tr- the true voice when when it comes to tackling what a government is saying about about the economy. So uh, after each budget, the IFS will take apart the next day actually what was in it, what what the government is saying is is it true, is it not, and that's kind of hasn't happened just over the the, the years of a, of, of a Tory government or a, or, or a Tory coalition. It went back into into the days of when Gordon Brown was Chancellor, when Alistair Darling was 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 Chancellor, and this was the kind of big problem for for for, for the for the Brexit campaign. He launched a a, a, a full throated attack. Well, it was it was kind of a full throated attack. There was a there was a press briefing that went out that had a line within it that suggested. Um, the, the, the IFS were victims of, 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 of pumping out propaganda, and there were. But it's an this arm idea, the isn't it, European that all, all these sort of establishment organisations are part of a stitch up? You know, yeah. the, the Bank of England, the Treasury, they're all sort of part of this cabal that's in, in hock to the EU. I mean, is there a danger here, Paul, that, you know, that uh, with the Brexit camp constantly attacking all these kind of big institutions, once this is over, why, why should we then believe, why should voters then believe these institutions again? I mean, if you've got Boris Johnson ends up as Prime Minister, then using the Treasury which you know, and using the IFS, why should voters then trust 
these institutions. There is a wider danger here for the, the bigger future. I suspect what will happen if there is Brexit, if Britain votes for it, you know, a lot of these institutions, they won't have to eat humble pie. They'll have to stick to the guns, I imagine, and say, look, we do think there's a real risk here to the economy, but, and it's a big but, you could possibly get around it by doing X, Y, and Z. Right. Now, and that's the challenge that IFS posed this week, which was, look, you can go ahead with this, but you may well have to cut an extra, you know, 40 billion from, from public finances. Um, and so whoever wins, if there is a Brexit, will have to show, is there going to be two, year more, two more years of austerity? Is that just guesswork? Or if, if it's, I mean, even the best of the sort of analyses for the, for the Brexiters suggest that it's not going to be a fantastic growth period after Brexit. Mm-hmm. On some scenarios, there's a small bit of growth. On a lot of them, there's a, a bit of negative growth. And they're going to have to explain how do you get around that. And I think that's difficult to sell right now. That's, yeah. that's the difficulty. But also, as Graham said, you know, the, the IFS is well known to us hacks. We always prefix it with this great phrase, the highly respected Institute for Fiscal Studies. And the reason it is highly respected is it doesn't normally go in the forecasting game. It doesn't do what the Treasury or the OBI used to do or still do. It, it says, look, if these are your forecasts, let's pick them apart and say, well... Here's the black hole that you might have to fill with taxes or with spending cuts or whatever in order to make your figures work. So they look at the raw figures the government are projecting and then they say, well, what are you going to do about it? And often they're brilliant at spotting, you know, stealth taxes under Gordon Brown or or wherever. And the big problem was, I think, was just in terms of PR, as Graham says, playing the man, not the ball. I mean, it was a throwaway line in a press release. It was actually under notes to editors, which you don't normally quote this line about the IFS being a propaganda arm of of Brussels. Um, But still, um, it was a silly thing to do. And the fact that, you know, the economist for leave, a guy called Andrew Lillico, came out and tweeted that I used to work for the IFS. Um, It is independent. That... That kind of killed the debate, stone dead. It, it was a PR blunder, no question. And I think I think the issue to do with the the, the economy that that maybe the the Brexit campaign kind of underestimates is that is some even kind of put forward the idea that uh, this is a price worth paying. A, li- a little bit of un- economic uncertainty and maybe a bit of kind of stagnation over a, over over a short time. That might not be a problem because the, the future is glorious. The future is brilliant. But that's fine if you're a, if you're a, you know an ex-Tory leader if you're a, a a cabinet minister who will always have a solid job who will always who will move from you're an MP for the next five years you will move to a, to 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 a to a, to a, a top a top job after that the trouble is that there are, there are people who are on short-term contracts there are there are companies that are, are, are relying on the the next order living kind of hand to mouth who. The last thing they want right now is in an economy that actually isn't, it's not roaring back to health. It's still a bit uncertain. The last thing they want to hear is, you know, ah, well, you know, stick with us because it will get better. They might might not survive six months. And that was David Cameron's really most powerful point last week in his speech. He didn't get any coverage in his his, uh, city speech, but he said, look, there's an an idea abroad amongst the Brexiteers that this great buccaneering era of us going it alone um, will be exciting because of the risk it's, it, risk is a good thing. Uh, and he said, you tell that to the car workers in Sunderland that risk is a good thing for their jobs. And it was one of the best lines he'd come out with. Didn't get much play, but well, we might get more of that. This brings, um, I think this brings us on not at all to the quiz. <laughs> That's, um, they're following the Bennett tradition of non-segues. Yeah. So there, there's a slight connection, not really. So um, this week, uh, there's a cat, isn't there, in the Foreign Office? Yes, Palmerston. there is, yeah. And uh, Philip Hammond revealed it's not an EU spy. There were some right. Tory MPs concerned it might be kind of snooping around. Yeah. So this quiz is about cats. 
Uh, it doesn't have a funny name though, so sorry, Owen and listeners. So it's uh, some of these cats are owned by politicians. Okay. Some are not. Okay. So I'll give you some cat names. Okay. Good. What do we shout out? A uh, cat if it's owned by a politician. Or N- not a cat <laughs> if it's not. Yeah. That, Shat. I was going to say something rude. Yeah. Well, there's a couple, but yeah, it's not really. Not that. Not, not that. yeah. Okay. You, can't really, you can't really use them. Okay. First one. Socks. Um, sorry, this socks. is that's a, this could be the name of a politician's cat. Yeah, yeah, socks. wasn't wasn't socks? Yeah, socks does exist. Wasn't socks Clintons or yeah. is that right? Absolutely right. Bill Clinton's <laughs> cat <laughs> socks. It. Absolutely nailed it. it. Okay, Misty Malarkey Ying Yang. Oh my god! Um, it's either a cat or another companion that somebody might have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say okay, that's so. a non-cat. Doesn't sound um, right. no, that's, no, that's, I don't think that's a cat, no. It was. Jimmy Carter's. Oh, really? Brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Padding around the White House. Yeah. Great name. Okay, we go. So, Hank the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> that's surely not. No cat's called Hank. No, no. I, like, I like cat names like that. Just, you know, Colin the Cat. Yeah. El Gato is my favourite cat. cat name. Obviously, Jeremy That was Corbyn's. on my list. I'll rub that out. He's, but, yeah, um, he's got that one already. Hank. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't uh, believe it. Right, so Hank, he was a cat... But rather than being owned by a politician, he ran against Tim Kaine and George Allen for a Virginia Senate seat. Oh. Wow. Came third, 7,000 votes. So <laughs> that's, that's not awesome. bad, is it? Okay. Um, okay. I'll give you one more. Okay. Limberbutt McCubbins. Sorry, Limberbutt Limberbutt Mc... McCubbins. Wow. Uh, I've got no idea. Uh, I'm going to say no, that's too far-fetched, is it, is it not? And, um, I will say far-fetched as well. No, I mean, it is also still a cat, but registered in the Democratic uh, presidential race this year. What? So it's actually running? Yeah. yeah, Against Sanders and Clinton? Yeah, but didn't didn't get into the debates, so shut out. Lost his deposit, is that how it works? Anyway, let's let's move on It would have been great if he'd gone on 9 out of 10 cats as a TV show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Test his knowledge. Excellent. Right, anyway, enough of that now. So, um, back to Brexit. Um, Obviously, it's kind of a proxy war between, you know, Osborne and Boris for the leadership. Um, There's a good story in the Times today. Uh, about MPs fighting over sausage sandwiches in the Commons Tea Room. Um, here's a clip of Ian Duncan Smith from last night insisting he doesn't want Cameron to go, even if we vote for Brexit. Uh, my answer is very simple. This is about a referendum stay in or leave. Uh, if the British people vote to leave or if they vote to stay in, and then the government, which happens to be the government that we have at the moment, must then set the terms. And that is exactly how it will be. And that government has a Prime Minister and I have no intention of seeing that Prime Minister change. Um, but I do tell you one other thing, very, very important. Because I've been in various lobbies when I was a backbencher with Jeremy Corbyn, and he never expressed that I ever remember a positive opinion about the European Union, but I'll hand that over to him. And PMQs this week was almost a leadership audition because Cameron was away, so we had George Osborne against Angela Eagle. Here's a clip of Eagle taking on Osborne. Until the most important decision this country has faced in a generation. We have before us a government in utter chaos, split down the middle, at war with itself. The stakes could not be higher, and yet this is a government adrift at the mercy of its own rebel backbenchers, unable to get their agenda through Parliament. Instead of providing the leadership the country needs, they're fighting a bitter proxy war over the leadership of their own party. And I noticed that no outer, all the Brexiteers have been banished from the front bench. So 
Angeline was quite good at this, isn't she? And I thought she had a good week. I thought she was better the first time she did it. Osborne, I think it was his perhaps his best best PMQs. Paul, did it help his leadership ambitions at I all? Did it have an impact on that? I think he did enough. Um, he kept his answers short, which was always a good idea. Uh, he had some brutal one-liners about, you know, Labour's future report, um, which uh, seems remarkably long, I think he said. Yes. Um, uh, and he, he wasn't outshone as he was previously by Angela Eagle. Angela Eagle's first outing was a triumph, there's no question. But it was against the backdrop of Corbyn having, having had a run of bad PMQs. So um, the difficulty was, I felt, being in there, as opposed to seeing it on TV, was that the noise got to her, I think. Um, and she, after a nice early good start faded because uh, it, she was sort of shouted down or drowned out and didn't seem to have the, the presence at the dispatch box you need to really take on PMQs. And it, I, f- I found she struggled, actually. And whereas Do you think she was too relaxed? Because she's got quite a relaxed manner, which works quite often it well It might be that. I mean, she had the right strategic... Uh, you know, area which, for her, from her point of view, which is to say, look, let's nail Osborne on saying how much he actually agrees with Len McCluskey about the EU. Very clever. Um, Osborne sort of tiptoed around that elephant trap, and actually, uh, some Labour MPs don't think it's quite a good idea to start citing Len McCluskey in, in your evidence anyway. And it, it has a feeling of a feeling of both the end of term and also the kind of PMQs that you have before a budget, i.e. nobody's really paying attention, nobody's kind of that interested, we're waiting for something bigger to come along. And I suspect PMQs will be a bit like that from here until June the 23rd. You know, they're not going to tear too many strips out of each other given that, you know, despite, say, Corbyn's Euro his own Euroscepticism and his belief there should be a left-wing, or not his belief there should be a left-wing exit. He previously said there should be left-wing reforms to, to Brussels. Um, I, I, I suspect it, it won't be the kind of big event that it, that it, that it has been because it doesn't really serve either, either sides particularly. Um, so this week I, th- I kind of thought, yeah, the, the last time... Andrew Eagle did it. She, she, she was hailed as the next Labour leader after yeah. uh, after it. it was in that kind of uh, period where Hillary Benn was also kind of touted because they both both had good 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 turns in the Commons. Yeah. But there was there was there was none of that following following PMQs. I think it shows how hard way. it is to get yeah. a win at PMQs as well. Yeah. People forget that. I think also for me, kind of Eagle highlighting the Tory splits uh, quite well, which Corbyn doesn't really do that much in PMQs. It did though also highlight how Labour isn't highlighting the Tory splits and isn't exploiting them. So yeah. all by doing it that one time, it was like, oh, hang on, this is new. This hasn't happened for a while. And I think that was quite interesting. And, but Osborne was very good at exploiting yeah. Labour splits in, 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 re- yeah. in response. And I think that's an inherent problem any Labour yeah. leader right now has. <laughs> Definitely. OK, on to stat of the week. Oh, um, Graham's stat of the week. I'm going to... Is there a jingle, oh. Ned? Not, stat not of quite. the week. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> that, was that, that, that was it. we've ever had. That was it. OK. It's a short one. There you go. So, OK. Uh, and, and for listeners, there's often been a rude word inserted into the stat that I haven't read out. I've, I've, well, this maybe it's a double block can, this time. Yeah, may, may, maybe there is. Um, according to Labour, BBC's BBC Radio 4 Today programme has interviewed 58 politicians since the start of the year. 48 were men. 48 were men. So only 10 were women. You do the math and I'll do it for you. Yeah, you <laughs> I, no, I did it for you, though. That was the, there was no rude word. I didn't have time. to. Uh... That's, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Good stat. I'll say. BBC male bias. Okay. Anyway, right, so to end, just to keep an eye on the US presidential election, where Democrats are getting a bit nervous about Donald Trump's polling numbers, 
Um, Republican candidates chairman told HuffPost today that Trump will win and he's going to start moderating his message a bit, including on Muslims. Uh, here's a clip of Elizabeth Warren, Democratic senator, going after Trump for drooling over the financial crisis. See you next week. Trump was drooling over the idea of a housing meltdown because it meant he could buy up more property on the cheap. What kind of a man does that? What kind of a man roots for people to get thrown out of their house? What kind of man roots for people to get thrown out of their jobs? To root for people to lose their pensions? To root for two little girls in Clark County, Nevada to end up living out of a van? What kind of a man does that? I'll tell you exactly what kind of a man does that. It is a man who cares about no one but himself. A small, a small, insecure money grubber who doesn't care who gets hurt so long as he makes a profit off it. What, what kind of a man does that? A man who will never be president of the United States. 